Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I am your host, Bill Sickens. With me, Jeremy and Gretchen. Welcome. Hello. Hi there. So we got our uh, badges in for Emerald City Comic Con this week. You'll have yours in the mail in the next few days here. So I'm looking forward to that in August. And the other Mm. event that's coming up next month is Mm. Black Hat. Chaz is going to be covering that for us, too. And I just saw that they're confirmed on that end. That's the first part of August, and ours is the second. So we're going to have a fun month next month. And looking forward to doing a couple of these events again. Hopefully nothing will happen to disrupt things right now. You know, there's just so much going on in the world that you never know. But uh, I'm looking forward to that and uh, maybe even doing a cosplay again. I haven't had my Wookiee out now in, what, two years or something. Wow, uh, he's feeling a little uh, neglected, <laughs> as my <it> would <laughs> yeah, be. I would think so. <laughs> so, one of the other events that we generally cover every year, Snafu in Reno, Nevada, I found out is not going to be produced this year. They're putting it on hold, and they're going to pick it back up in 2023. They're doing a number of mini events, so we'll have to see how that works out or what that will even mean. But again, just changes in everything around us, and. Uh, Kind of just have to keep pushing forward from that standpoint and pick and choose. One of the other things is is figuring out in September. We've got two events that we're looking at doing, one in Las Vegas and one here in Portland. So we'll have to make a decision on that pretty soon, too, and mm-hmm. uh, see which one we want to pick up. The Las Vegas one sounds interesting, number one, because it's Vegas. be kind of yeah. fun to go down there again. And it's produced by a company out of Hawaii that seems to have a pretty decent reputation on doing Comic-Con-type events. We've never seen one of theirs before, so it might be fun to see one that could be completely different. Well, so, either we go to Hawaii or Vegas. So, <laughs> well, now if that was the choice, I wouldn't have trouble choosing. But uh, nah, well, I think yeah. it's more Portland or Vegas, not Hawaii. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if they're running if they're running events in Hawaii, maybe we need to see one of their original ones and go to Hawaii yeah. to see it. Well, I'll tell you what, you guys take care of Vegas. I'll do Hawaii. Take one for the team and all of that. All right. I am uh-huh. glad we don't okay, have video connected to this. Face? Yes. Uh, <laughs> on that note, what do we have in the news this week? Okay. AI-powered speech recognition is entering a new phase. Total global comprehension. So the language barrier with technology is something that is starting to minimize and eventually maybe even go away. Now, we are seeing this type of technology out there, Zoom. And other products like that have instant translation in certain things where it will either subtitle or in some of the betas actually give an audio representation of what's being stated. But even with the subtitles, it makes it a lot easier because you can talk to somebody, they speak in their native language, you and yours, and you're still able to communicate without an interpreter. You still have one, but it's digital. But this is taking this a step further that would be more like something Star Trek-y, like a universal translator. Yeah. And... You could just talk and listen and no longer have a language barrier at all. So we'll have to see where this ends up. But at least in theory, it sounds amazing. I think it's something that would be extremely beneficial for the human race. Oh, yeah. And something that um, is certainly going to be possible. Canada 911 and financial systems suffer outage. Yeah, so this happened this last week. And there's still a lot of controversy about why this happened. But basically what it comes down to is in Canada, just like anywhere else, they have companies that do their network and cell phone and all of that type of stuff. 
And one of their bigger companies is known as Rogers. This would be an equivalent of like AT&T or Verizon or something here. And they suffered a major outage on their system, which took down ATM machines, networks, internet, all kinds of things, uh, just to a point that it was massive. The Canadians are now worried about the fact that one company does do so much of their network because they're, it, it's not like here where the different companies do different pieces. It's, it'd be like if, say, Verizon did 75% and the others did the additional 25% or something. So that Ouch. one company suffering a problem has a much more magnified effect on the number of people that go out. And I know you guys have just been dealing with an internet outage that's lasted oh, yeah. four days. Four yeah. days. You know how frustrating that is. So uh, Completely. Yes. <laughs> Phone and TV, no, no worky. <laughs> uh, Nikon to stop marketing SLR cameras and focus on mirrorless models. Yeah, they're actually stopping to make them too. So, so does that the, mean the uh, film too, or just yeah? What? This this is the technology in general. So basically, what it is is there's a style of cameras that use a mirror for what you see in the viewfinder SLR. Mm-hmm. The kind of camera that's in your cell phone would be a mirrorless model. And for professional photographers, SLR has been used for well a very long time. I mean, this technology yep. goes back well before I had digital one. cameras. And as you say, film and, and other things. But the mirrorless cameras are getting to a point now where they are actually capable of competing on all fronts. So it's something where we're just seeing the progression of technology. Nikon was one of the biggest companies to make these and stepping away from it is definitely a changing of the guard, so to speak. Now, they're not going to stop selling them. Their last flagship model of an SLR came out in 2020 but they're not going to be making any new models either. One of the other things that professionals especially liked with SLRs, they were compatible with many different lenses, even older ones. So mm-hmm. you could have something from a different camera, and these lenses can be very expensive. The filters so, too. Yeah, the filters yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But again, what's c- capable with the mirrorless systems and also direct digital integration, things like facial recognition and other things, Again, it's the, just the direction they're moving in, just the march forward of technology in that area, killing off another part of something that we've had for a very long time. Hmm. Edits to a cholesterol gene could stop the biggest killer on Earth. Cholesterol is a problem. It's a problem I have. Yes, it is. Many people, a good portion of the population has high cholesterol and statins and other things are able to control it, uh, eating less meat and stuff like that. But the bottom line of it is, is there's people that are genetically disposed to having high cholesterol and those that aren't. And this has to do with your gene structure. So scientists are looking at the possibility of editing the genes related to this and reducing the cholesterol problem. Now, the only concern that comes to mind is as soon as you do gene editing is the potential that there could be other side effects. And since (laughs) human genes are self-replicating, If you screw something up, you can't really roll back. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, it's installed. Sorry. (laughs) All I can think of is that Star Trek episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, very true on that, Jeremy. Yeah, with the one with the kids. I know we can't uh, dwell on that right now. But yes, I know what you're talking about. But the bottom line, if it is, is done correctly, this could actually fix a major problem. So we'll see where this goes. I don't think I'm going to go in for gene editing tomorrow, but I will keep an eye on the story. (laughs) MIT quantum sensor can detect electromagnetic signals of 
any frequency. So what does that mean? Okay, so this is interesting. Electromagnetic signals, what that refers to is anything that is wireless communication. So radio waves, television waves, uh, different things coming from space, all of that kind of thing. But generally, when you pick up these signals, you have a receiver that's designed for a certain bandwidth, range, frequency, all that kind of thing, and ability to do it. So your FM receiver picks up a frequency range of a set number of channels, and you tune it to what you want. And as long as something's broadcasting in that range and it can understand it, you'll be able to hear the signal. But as time marches forward, there's a need to be able to see different things and not have to have a sensor array to do it. And even with that sensor array, maybe not pick everything up. So this is a device that is about the size of a credit card, and it can pick up basically everything. Wow. That's crazy. So something I think we're going to dig into later, because this kind of technology actually has a lot of applications out there. And for some of us more than others could be very useful. Hmm. Here's one way we know that an EV's battery will last the car's lifetime. Yeah, so electric vehicles, we've talked about this in the past, and the batteries seem to be the Achilles heel in many ways. And one of the problems is the lifetime of the battery and having to get a battery pack replaced uh, would be akin to getting an engine replaced on a gasoline car, maybe even more money. So battery must be warranted for eight years or 100,000 miles. But the problem with this is, is that the capacity of the batteries themselves will reduce over time. Mm-hmm. So you're dealing with a situation where when you plug the vehicle in on day one, you'll get a greater range than on, you know, day whatever of year five. Okay. And batteries like this in consumer electronics have a thing called a memory effect. It happens when you don't char- discharge all the way, then charge them up, and then you start losing capacity there. This is a little bit different, but it's based on the terminals and a number of other components within the vehicle, which determine this. And again, I know there was a story that was kind of wild that was trending online for a while about a guy that had a Tesla, and it was so expensive to replace the battery pack, he decided to blow it up and make a video instead. So it just kind of gives you an idea of of where that is and where that's at. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you this week. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're going to get into the sci-fi realm here a little bit and talk about metasurfaces and telekinesis. You know, it's interesting. You hear these topics and you see all of this kind of stuff in Star Trek, Star Wars, sci-fi and all that kind of thing. But we're actually talking about a way to do this in the real world. In fact, it's already being done. So Let's start with what is a metasurface, and it's based on a cousin called a metamaterial. And these are defined as composites with bizarre optical properties. Okay. So when arranged in tandem, they can interact with electromagnetic waves, including visible light, in ways that are impossible for natural materials. And it gives them <laughs> what they call a superpower. They can readily adapt to their properties. For example, things like bending light in different ways. Now, imagine where that could go. (laughs) So 
the deal with this is, is because they can react to electromagnetic energy, and because of the fact that we are starting to document how our brains work, and the fact that our brains generate electromagnetic waves as they process information, with a learned capacity and the right kind of hardware, it is actually possible to manipulate metamaterials and metasurfaces by thinking about it. Okay, that's so kind as of a freaky. 10,000 foot view <laughs> example here, because this obviously could get into a lot of detail. Yeah, absolutely. Right. One of the examples that's given on this is the idea of the brain state. For example, if it's relaxed versus concentrating, you'll have different frequencies of brain waves. So this actually can be used as a source to trigger changes within metamaterials. Hmm. So a uh, first study that was done on this, this was published in a publication called eLight. The team used a brainwave extraction model that allowed volunteers to control a metasurface with their minds alone. The whole system is wireless. It relies on Bluetooth to work. They extracted brainwaves from the volunteers. She relaxed or concentrated, and through a controller, changed how the link metasurface scattered light. Now, where this goes is, uh, I'm going to quote a, from pop culture, a show called Stranger Things. A lot of us have watched it. I know you guys have. And there's a scene in there where one of the characters crushes a Coke can just by thinking about it. And while this isn't quite as, you know, amazing as that or dramatic, but it is the step in the right direction to be able to start working towards that. So, and, so let me see if I can wrap my brain around this. So this stuff is like um, like a sheet of paper or a piece of fabric? Yeah, they're, they're very thin materials. And, and, and if you hooked me up to whatever their experiment is, I could think about making it glow purple or could I wad it up into a ball? Is that oh, what you, they're doing? Um, I don't know if we're quite as far as along as wadding it up into a vault. You would be able to control, though, how it dealt with the light. So color change, all that kind of stuff is definitely a possibility of this kind of a thing. Well, Esther's excited about it. Yeah, I'm hearing it. We'll have to hook it up to the cat and see how that works, too. It seems that like she's definitely... That would be fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that could be a little bit dangerous, too. But... Uh, <laughs> no, but, so basically what you're go what you have here is you have three pieces. You've got the metamaterial that's mm -hmm. set up to to react to certain energy. Then you have an intermediary device uh that's a Bluetooth transmitter creating that energy and receiving your brain waves and being uh -huh. able to handle that. So that's the controller piece. Huh. So okay, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around this, you know, envision it. <laughs> well, it, it seems like the, the system is set up so that you can use with the controller. The, the the materials is made to do one or two things, right? So right. Like you can you can you can use the controller and your with your brain waves to like expand the joint, like it's a little flexy thing, mm -hmm. so it can it can open and close, or you know it'll turn left or right, right? You know, or change the color from white from now, clear to blue. Or the something. the color um, choices is it the full spectrum of the uh, rainbow? It can be, yeah, it can okay, be, and it can be beyond visible color spectrum too. Imagine if you hook an artist up to this and they think about something they've been trying to draw or express. That could be cool. That, that, yeah, something like that's a good way to explain it. So yeah, I guess another way to think about this is a normal surface you think of, okay, glass bottle has a characteristic. It's going to shatter under pressure. Wood's going to crack. Cotton is soft. Mm -hmm. All these different type of things. 
Meta material throws that completely up on its ear. And you have an amalgamation of materials that make this up. One favorite that's being used of this is something called a piezoelectric material. And this type of material can readily change their structure and light bending properties under the effect of electromagnetic fields. So the actual way that it interacts with the environment, the structure, and all of that type of thing can be altered by using an external field. So Mm. where does this go? You know, that's a good question. Okay, this is all very nice, but where could we see it? Well, some of the proof of concept things that are out there that are actually in existence right now are things like invisibility cloaks, dynamic camouflaging, so your camo can change based on the environment, super lenses, um, something called 3D printed mill bots. And Hmm. uh, this is something that they describe as something that could roam your body to intelligently deliver drugs when needed. You know, and the list goes on and on. We're, we're really getting into kind of the sci-fi realm here. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. But, a um, little bit of fantasy with the Harry Potter, you know, invisibility cloak there. That's good. Cool. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's that's the whole thing with it, too. But this, they've actually started testing in the lab and taking this a step further. And the idea is, well, if we have telekinetics, what about telepathy? And mm-hmm. they did a separate study. This was done somewhere else. Using metasurfaces is what they called a telephone of sorts to help two people text simple messages without lifting a finger. And this is something where, again, you're using your brain waves to communicate with a controller, and the controller then interprets and sends to the destination whatever it's supposed to do. So if you think about it, all of our cell phones have Bluetooth capability, and that's basically mm-hmm. all they're using to make this work, a little bit more than that. but. Uh, you know, this uh, this work. So the experiment that they did here had two volunteers, a transmitter and a receiver. Uh, the transmitter had his brainwaves monitored with an EEG with a specific force uh, uh, focus on something called the P300 signal, and that which is a type of brainwave. And th- uh, this is something that is very well known. This was decoded into prim- or binary code, which was then used to u- control the transmitter's metasurface properties. These changes wirelessly charged the receiver's metasurface, which then decoded and translated them back into text information for the receiver to read. So again, you're communicating by thinking is what it comes down to. I bet you Stephen Hawking would have liked that. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 he would have found this amazing. He was an amazing <laughs> scientist. And I, I think seeing some of this stuff, I just, uh, you know, in its infancy like this, it's a lot of fun to be able to interact with these things. But it is definitely something that when you're talking about things that just 10 years ago were part of a television show and to be able to actually see this work in a lab, even though it's at the beginning, but you got to start somewhere. Right. And, um, uh, you know, the, the scientist that was working on this quote was quoted as saying, our work may future open up a direction to explore the deep integration of metasurface, human brain intelligence and artificial intelligence. So as to build up new generations of biointelligent metasurface systems. We will leave you with that. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. So this week we saw some of the first color images, or the first color images, from the James Webb Space Telescope. We talked about this a little earlier in the year when they first got this online. 
And they've been going through and doing all the calibration and stuff. And what this is, is it's a new telescope that's been launched. It uh, doesn't sit in the atmosphere. It's actually in its own orbit. It's something that's been put up by NASA in a partnership with the European Space Agency and the Canadian Space Agency. And something that a lot of people, anybody that's into space and astronomy and all of that, have been really excited about. And it isn't disappointing. I know we saw some of the first images come back this week. And Gretchen, what do you think? What did you see? They're beautiful. Um, this this image that I've got um, up in front of me, I am flabbergasted at how many galaxies I'm seeing in one photo. Right, right. Uh, it, it, it's like somebody went nuts and, and just started painting all kinds of little galaxies, you know, in, <laughs> in a section. It was just like, wow. It, it, it's really... Um, And some of them, you can tell things are faded that are even further away. So it just, when you think about how large our universe is, it's mind blowing. You know, at first we had the Hubble that that took some images, but not as clear as this. Well, and you're you're dealing with a progression in technology, and Hubble in its day was amazing too. But yeah, we're mm-hmm. we're moving a little bit beyond that now, and it's just uh, uh, it's just amazing to see what's coming off of this. So, some interesting statistics about this: the light years, how many light years away will the James Webb Telescope see? This is a question that comes in, and it's between one hundred and two hundred and fifty million years after the Big Bang, so very very early in the universe. About thirteen point seven billion years ago is the light that you can see through it now. And one thing that's interesting about that, too, is that's not 13.7 billion light years away. It's actually much further because of the expansion of the universe. So you're dealing with a number of principles in math that mm-hmm. are giving these images. And, you know, it's interesting you say, too, this like somebody painted all these galaxies. I think there's a few astronomers that might agree with you on that because we're already seeing a lot of stuff that what either we didn't know about or wasn't even something that was realized. And I think some of the discoveries that this is going to make are going to be absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, as, as a writer of science fiction, um, uh, you know, and I, I'm hardcore into the Star Wars franchise or universe or whatever you want to call it. And I think, wow, a galaxy, that's a big place. And you can tell lots of stories you're not limited just to certain planets or certain types of people. There's a wonderful variety because a galaxy is a big thing. And when I look at this photo, it's filled with a whole bunch of galaxies. I mean, this isn't just one galaxy. It is a bunch of them. I'm probably looking at over a hundred galaxies in just one picture. I mean, that's mind boggling. So the question that's coming on this is, uh, is the James Webb Telescope better than the Hubble? And we talked about that a little bit. But the answer to this really comes down to uh, improvements in technology. It's a lot more sensitive to infrared light than Hubble. So they say that Webb is about three times more high resolution and about 10 times more sensitive to infrared light. So it can do what Hubble has uh, not been able to do for a long time and more quickly. So you're dealing with something that's higher resolution, more ability to process different light ranges. And the other side of it is, as Hubble as it's gotten older, you know, it's just like anything like that. It uh, has uh, started to have a little less capability. 
So while there is an overlap, this now does what it was able to do and in, in a lot faster. So that's why you're seeing some of this that's absolutely, absolutely amazing. And now, is uh, Hubble still running? Yes, Hubble is still running. I mean, they, they oh, haven't turned oh, it off or okay. anything. So yeah. All right. And I'm not sure. I'd have to look up and see what the plan is for that. I think, I mean, at some point, I'm sure that uh, they will retire it. But um, right now, you know, again, transitioning over and all of that. Webb is currently at what they call its observing spot, um, 0.2 L2, which is about 1 million miles away. Wow. So wow. when you think about that, that's one of the other things that you're dealing with because you don't have the interference with atmosphere and other things that you would have with something that's closer. So or is it Earth. outside of the is it outside of the orbit of the moon? Yes. Oh, wow. That's that's mind boggling. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. yeah, when you think about it, it, it just is. All right. This is user friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This next segment is something that uh, we are responding to listener questions or maybe better put, listener gripes. And that is about a product that we've talked about on the show before called Android Auto. Now, for anybody that doesn't know what this is, it's basically a system in your car. There's an equivalent from Apple called CarPlay that allows you to take the navigation or map information from your phone screen and redirect it to another screen. So in other words, if you have a screen that's built into the car that supports this, then you can hook up your phone and be able to have that mapping navigation information on your car's readout. Now, my thing with all of this is, is that a lot of car manufacturers, Nissan being one of the biggest defenders, in my opinion, of this, have been removing regular navigation systems from their car in favor of saying, well, just use your Android Auto or your uh, Apple CarPlay device. The problem is, is that they do not replace, in my opinion, my humble opinion as it is, a standard navigation system. They get the job done, but it doesn't work as well, and it doesn't usually have some of the features that you would find on some of these other things. But there's been some things going on lately that even those that like this product are starting to have trouble with. Now, like anything else, there's different versions, different revision levels, and all that type of thing that go along with this. And recently, a new version has come out of Android Auto that is just making its way to some of the different devices, 7.8, and there's a beta of 7.9. Now, the first thing they're saying is there is a problem with the wireless mode. So there's essentially two ways to connect your phone to the car. You can either plug it in via USB, and that's the way it originally worked. And then a while back, a while back being a few years ago now, they added wireless where you didn't have to have the physical wired connection. It would work that way, except with this update and a number of phones, uh, including Samsung, which a lot of people have, the wireless will stop working. So needless to say, that's a little bit annoying. And one of the other things that's been complained about for a while now too is that the voice commands don't work on the Google side either very well that when you ask it to do something it will try to open another application or just simply not respond at all which is of course something that's a little bit annoying on a device that's designed to use voice command especially in the car while you're driving 
And yeah, so, not supposed to be, you know, holding stuff and being distracted. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly that's the whole point of it. Exactly. Wow. You know, and I think what got me off to a bad start here is I had a, a beamer a while back that had this and I I could never get it to work. The audio just simply wouldn't work. I got the mapping part of it to go, but things like turn by turn directions and all of that don't go. Then it would have other interesting things that if you tried to use it in an area where you didn't have cell phone coverage, unless you knew to pre-download your maps, you couldn't get the navigation to work. You couldn't get traffic information or any of that stuff. And yet the you know car people are saying, well, uh, this is newer technology and it's better. And I think in a lot <laughs> of ways what it is is they don't have to put in navigation equipment or pay for the software. So it's you bring your own device, you know. So yeah, but if they're going to start nickeling and diming us for everything in in a car, we're going to sell less cars because people aren't going to do it. Well, maybe you know, um, it seems like if that's the only choice. But um, but there now here's the thing with this: there are some solutions to this. Number one, specifically on the Android Auto end, is you actually don't have to use Google Maps. So if you use another product like Waze or something, and there's a number of choices out there. You can actually change the nap, the mapping system out that's behind this and maybe get one that's a little bit better that will work offline and do some of these features that already exist in the previous technology that is now air quote old. <laughs> one of the things that I find interesting though too is Waze, which is another very popular navigation app is owned by Google. So you would think you'd have direct compatibility. But they are very different, and Waze doesn't even offer an offline mode. If you don't have cell phone connectivity, it simply will not operate. And Mm. um, which is which is kind of a bummer if you drive to one of the many places where that doesn't work. You know? Yeah, this is starting to sound like less and less of a cool idea. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, you know, I, I think it's. Go ahead. I just recently had a situation where our internet was gone for quite a few days and so many systems in our home stopped working. Uh, one of which was, uh, my mother's landline that she relies on and, um, relatives were worried and, you know, uh, you know, pharmacies were calling and stuff like that. And it, 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 she couldn't answer the phone because it was gone. Right. So it's, it may, it's making me feel like the more they put technology in there, is it such a good idea? Maybe we should keep things simple in some cases, especially if it's not broken, you know? Well, and my, th- my thing of it is with this type of stuff is I don't think I have any kind of a problem with offering these type of services in a car. You know, you want to have that. And there are certainly many people that like Android Auto and, and, and they would want to mm-hmm. use it. But I don't right. think that it should be forced to replace something else that works that other people might like you know and yeah i pick on i pick on nissan with this because it's the first one that i found out about this but in 2019 on their lower end cars like the Sentra and the kicks and some of those uh they redesigned them and at that point decided that they would no longer offer navigation as an option so the only way you can get maps in the car is to use a service like android auto or apple carplay and the situation with that is i can understand that if you don't want a navigation system you shouldn't be forced to buy one but on the flip side, if you do, you, it should be able to get one. And plus, with the way cars are designed now, it isn't like it used to be where you can just replace the radio to get it. And uh, I'm dealing with that. I have, a, I have a Rogue One, a Star Wars Rogue One, which I really like, and I do want to keep original anyway. 
but it doesn't have navigation. And I've been trying to add it. And it's just like, if I go to an aftermarket system, it actually starts removing functionality from the car because the aftermarket system doesn't support some of the stuff that's built into the radio that comes with the car and there's no way to get it back. Oh. Yeah, you know, so it, yeah. it does create that's a, no fun. a difficulty there. And it isn't just Nissan, by the way. I know I'm picking on them, but it's a lot of things with the newer cars is they're integrating things quite a bit more now. But in line with doing that, you have a situation where you know, it's it's locked in and you can't upgrade and you can't change things. So we'll see if this gets fixed and we'll let you know. This is user-friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You know, a great technology show this week. So let's kind of switch gears a little bit in our close here and talk about some of the other things we've been doing. We've been playing a great D&D game. We've had a smaller group. Some of our normal players have been busy and stuff and haven't been able to join us, but we kind of wanted to get going again and and do that. And we've been playing online since uh, the start of the pandemic. We've moved to a system called Roll20, which usually works pretty well. It, it has its, let's just say, uh, character sometimes. But, um, you know, we've been doing a fun campaign. Mainly what we've been doing on that is Dungeons and Dragons 5 and uh, having a lot of fun with that. I don't know. What do you guys think of the latest game? I'm enjoying it. It's a little bit of uh, extra work because I'm playing two characters that are very different. (laughs) But uh, it's been fun. I I like the idea where it's not just go in and kill things. You're also having a mystery to discover and yeah. having things revealed to you. I kind of like that. I, I, I like a combination. So I've been dungeon master or storyteller on this one, and I've been having a lot of fun with it too. And I wish I could take credit for all of that, but I've been working with some friends of mine that we developed the characters and just, they wanted something to do. Some of them are working over in Ukraine and the war, the monsters from Russia have started. And just, you know, sometimes it's good to get your mind off of things. So I actually went through and built some, backstories for our NPCs and all that kind of thing and uh, are basing it on a, on a module we have, but uh, basing it, you know, we're doing our own campaign. And that's really been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun to do the role play. And the other part I'm finding is a lot, one big complaint among a lot of gamers is that, like you say, it's only hack and slash. You don't have the role play component. But I think right. part of that is, is in order to be able to do that properly, you need a background to role play with. Mm-hmm. It's just like acting. If I go and do a character on screen, you know, when I have in the past and stuff, if I don't know what I'm playing against, it would make it a lot more difficult because you're kind of just there doing something random and I don't know how to react, don't know how the feedback would work, but this has helped out with a lot. So, you know, it's it's been really enjoyable to have that. I'm not the best creative writer in the world, but when you have people that make you look good, it helps. <laughs> well, yeah, and it seemed like um the game that you're doing has flexible reactions from the characters. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and so if you step out and 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 ask the characters questions or do things, you're not going to get that same standard, you know, you're forced to reply this way. And that makes it hard for me to pretend to be a character. Yeah, it no and that that's the case. The other thing that's hard about that too is a uh, Role-playing in many ways is choose your own adventure. But the problem is if your players don't go the direction that you expect, which happens 90% of the time, 
mm-hmm. it is uh, well, yeah. it's difficult because you either have to try to force mm-hmm. them into a paradigm. But the way that this is set up and written is we've been able to be very flexible with that. And if there's a needed uh, part of the story, you're able to put that in no matter where you are. So it's just been a lot of fun. All right. Well, this is user friendly until next week, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User friendly 2.0 copyright 2014 to 2022 user friendly media group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host and not necessarily those of the user friendly media group, Inc. or this station music licensed by BMI hosting provided by weirdtechnology.com podcast available at user friendly nation.com. The answer or anywhere you listen to podcasts.